You're listening to the Dietitian Cafe RD2B podcast, brought to you by New Ultra. My name is Lucy Deer and I'm a third year student dietitian. For this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by registered nutritionist Shona Dunn. In this episode, we take a look at public health career opportunities, what those roles might look like, and how the work public health nutritionists do impacts our practice as students and dietitians. Shona will share her experience working in public health and education. Without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Shona to introduce herself. Hi Lucy, hi everybody. Um, my name is Shona Dunn. I'm a lecturer in nutrition and health at the University of Chester. Um, I don't know really what to be saying about myself. I find it quite difficult to talk about yourself. Um, I suppose main interests are obviously public health, nutrition-based um, interventions, community workshops, and then my PhD is in breastfeeding. So looking at reasons and motivations as to why women um, I suppose what encourages and supports women to breastfeed, particularly here in the northwest region of England. Fantastic. And to sort of get started, can you tell us a little bit about your own journey to your current role? Yes, thanks, Lucy. Um, so, oh, gosh, thinking back years and years now, um, I've always been interested in nutrition. Um, I've always been interested in health, but my parents um, have been... Um, executive chefs and I've always been around food food has always been on our home being from a big Irish family food's always really the center of everything and so I I've now learned on reflection to think back actually I've been quite privileged to be in a house in a home where we were always cooking from scratch or as children we're always baking and thinking I'm not going to use this ingredient I'll use this one instead and not really understanding why but always just playing with food and health and always very active Um, and then in school when you're thinking of courses and thinking of what to do with your life after secondary school and nutrition was always something of mine Um, I really wanted to pursue um, in the end after school I never really I didn't go straight into human nutrition or dietetics or anything like that I ended up going down the nutraceutical route which is looking at um essentially um fusing pharmaceuticals and fusing nutrition together and, and looking at those bioactive components and, and that really kind of gave me those technical skills that lab experience um which I then learned was not for me whatsoever I'm too much of a chatterbox I'm too much of a people person I'm too nosy to be um in a lab and some people that's fantastic and that's for them but I really learned in that experience that's not for me whatsoever um and I did an internship um during that time in Dublin and ended up working there post-graduation of my degree and again really enjoyed it but then always had in the back of my mind oh I, I need to do something more I need to keep doing it and I applied actually to Chester um because it was an AFN regu- um an AFN um accredited program and um and then I applied and then I deferred and I deferred again and I thought oh I need to bite the bullet here um and so I did I moved to Chester from Dublin on my own knew no one just came over and um and then, yeah, got my hands dirty. Before that, I did lots of experience of volunteer work and led community youth groups. Um, and I, that's where I really felt, yeah, people, people are me. I need, I need to work with people. Um, and then during the degree, um, the master's, I, I've always had a love for infant feeding, always had a love for 
um babies again our family you're always wearing babies there's no there's always someone who has a baby and uh always intrigued and interested in that way and so did a lot of volunteering with the local company at that time um shadowed and supported uh, breastfeeding groups and weaning groups um toddler nutrition worked with families and then through that I ended up getting a job and um, working and delivering community health programs community nutrition developing inter- uh, interventions for families applying for funding and absolutely loved it absolutely loved it and um, again got to know those people got to network um, and that was just wonderful and then I remember thinking, God, I really wish someone told me about all of this. I really wish someone told me how to develop these interventions in more depth. I really wish I kind of had a bit more of a hands-on understanding of all these theories and knowledge and how to actually work in practice. And then um, Chester offered me uh, an opportunity to come back and talk to students about what I did. And then I really enjoyed that. And then I saw an opportunity to go back and do it full time and then here I am I suppose sorry I could just rumble on Lucy just listen away and we're so lucky at Chester to hear all that experience from you it's great doing your public health module um so I know this is a broad question but in general can you tell us what is the role of a public health nutritionist oh yeah and thanks Lucy that's so kind of you to say um yes great question um so when we look at the role of of a public health nutritionist. It's someone who's working with local populations. It's someone who's working in the role of encouraging communities um, to adopt maybe healthier lifestyles, healthier diets, whatever that may potentially be. Within public health nutrition, I think the analogy goes back, and I'm not sure if I've I've talked about this enough with yourselves and your cohort, but we think of this um, stream and we think of the people falling in and then the people at the top. So we're at the bottom, we're trying to pull these individuals out of the stream, but yet we see the stream getting bigger and bigger and bigger of people falling in, what is happening? And so we like to use then the idea of public health nutrition is let's go all the way back to the top and understand why are people falling in in the first place? So when we think of policies, we're working with policies, we're working with community groups, we're working with um, local authorities to look at developing interventions that support local populations and um, national populations or even wider global populations at that. So yeah, so it's, it's kind of like how big is the pea string or where is the pea in, in the mattress and that type of thing. But really within the public health nutritionist, we're looking at working with populations, we're looking at working with population groups. And at the moment, there's a piece of work where we look at the role of public health nutrition and where does that sit? And as um, nutritionists and as dietitians, student nutritionists, student dietitians, where do we sit within all of that? We look at the likes of food poverty and food insecurity, but then do we consider that also a case of modern malnutrition if we want to kind of clinically um, diagnose it, I suppose? Where does our role sit there? Do we look at our expertise in that field to help populations? Does our role then support with um, weight management? Does our role support with working with um, families and healthier families and healthier communities? So there's such a vast role and array. But equally, I'm always one to think it doesn't pigeonhole you. It doesn't matter that that's what you're interested in. That's really where the focus is. 
But additionally, we develop the skills, the tools, the knowledge and have that critical thinking where we can apply it to maybe more of an industry role and maybe look at lobbying industry to work with communities and maybe look at funding in those types of ways. Fantastic. And on this podcast with some of our previous guests, we've talked a lot about the career opportunities that are available within nutrition and dietetics. So can you talk us through what career opportunities are available to students within public health? Yes, yeah, great question. Um, and this, I think, the role of public health nutrition. So we look at public health as a whole discipline, which is huge. And I think definitely we've seen the the reach of how those individuals who work in public health over the COVID pandemic, probably more so than we ever learned or knew ourselves. Uh, but when we look at nutrition as a specialism in that, um, again, I don't like to pigeonhole but equally there's such an array of opportunities of working as a health coach on digital platforms in um, community settings um, in the NHS as well there's roles uh, local authority Um, I know some local authorities have even um, uh, graduate schemes for public health nutritionists and there's we've seen uh, roles going in industry and we even have people working in research as well Um, Because if we're looking at the role of policy and we're looking at um, identifying how we can policy into practice, there's a reason policy is there in the first place. And that's because there's something from a social change or a social issue that creates a policy. So, again, we have that opportunity to apply that into practice. And this is what I like to tell students as well. You know, you're always writing those essays, that critical thinking and and the critical um, writing and the lit reviews that you're doing and the dissertations that you're doing. And you think, when am I ever going to use this? And this those roles in terms of research or in working, say, with um, local authorities, even if you are wanting to go freelance, you have an opportunity to write your own job. And again, those skills really come true to fruition there because you know how to write, you know what to say, you know how to use the evidence to support your reasoning why you think, you know what, you know, I'm going to use you as an example here, Lucy. I'm Lucy. I'm wanting to set up a, a weight management group for my community here well you know what the the data is you know how to collect it you know how to write it and then you get that creative opportunity where you think you know what I want to work at this and I want to develop this intervention and you write your own job so really there's a lot of work at the moment and it's only going to get bigger especially when we see the national food strategy and coming out we see um children's nutrition and school foods there's going to be a huge role there too i know in wales for example there's huge movement there towards their um healthy and weight healthy wales goal for 2030 so they're looking to recruit so many people as well so there's definitely a a huge array of opportunities on right now but definitely moving forward but the one thing is Lucy I'd say is don't put public health nutritionists into a search tool of Google because the jobs don't come up in that way you need to be creative in your uh, in the terms used which I know can be frustrating to some people That's great advice. And I know you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but could you tell us about some of the sessions that you've been involved in delivering to the public in the past? Yeah, thanks, Lucy. That's definitely a passion of mine. And so one of my big passion projects, I suppose, was when um, we designed um, a six week um, weaning program for mums and babies, not excluding dads. Dads are more than welcome at the time. We actually had a couple of dads come along, which was great. But um, 
those sessions, basically, we we're working with a children's centre who identified that actually there were some issues with um, overweight amongst their uh, reception age children. And the, the children's manager at the time was wonderful and she was very passionate and really proactive. And she acknowledged that, yes, if we work with families and children from the first 1000 days, um, that actually trying to get those habits ingrained would have been great. And this area was in a um, high level of deprivation. So we designed sessions where um, they were an hour and a half long and the mums and babies primarily, again, dads were always welcome, um, would come along and again, lovely peer support group, normally about six, seven um, parents and babies. And uh, we would do about 40 minutes of an information session. So one of them at the time could have been on finger foods. Another one could be on purees. We did another one on sugar uh, where an oral health practitioner friend of mine came in and joined me and she discussed it from a teeth's perspective and looking at the bottle and the cup. Um, we did batch cooking and um, how do we store foods how safely, how do we defrost safely? Again, things that I grew up with thinking, obviously this is how you do it. But again, you know, and I'm very honest to say that now, but on reflection, I used to think, wow, you know, I was lucky, but these um, ladies haven't obviously had that experience or the knowledge or the tools. And then we would do half of the session um, and we would cook the foods from scratch. And we would ensure that the ingredients were bought from a local supermarket. So again, there was no barrier there to accessing fruits and vegetables and um, staples such as um, uh, rice or pastas, for example. So they'd all be um, available in, in a local way. And, and we would teach them actually how to cook, but all the mums would get paired together and they would cook together. So again, there was peer support, there was learning. And these parents had an opportunity where they could network with each other, then they could develop a peer group and a social group. And then at the end, um, the food that we were making was suitable for their babies at different stages. Um, and so the babies could try it. And that was, again, really, really lovely. And the parents gained confidence in themselves because they were providing the food to the babies but also they were serving their babies so they were encouraged to continue to do that and then one mom who may felt nervous then saw another one doing that and thinking okay no I, I can do it I can do it again obviously if baby was ready um, and that was wonderful I really loved that and then we had a toddler nutrition session so sometimes because it is for a few years we see the babies that we saw in weaning then come to toddler and again that was just wonderful or um, a toddler and then maybe mom would have a new baby and again it was just brilliant um other sessions were like family um family cook and eat sessions too so again after working at primary schools um after school we'd have maybe six families i think with this yeah, the six families and kids, their children after school would come into a big school hall that we'd have all set up and we'd again take it through um, different recipes each week where we got the families to come together and make something. So the children were involved in maybe making, for example, like fruit salads or fruit kebabs. And then the parents would do something a bit more technical where, you know, hot water and frying and things would be required. And then we'd all come together at the end and sit down. And again, that peer support and encouraging each other to eat. So whilst the children may think, oh, I'm not going to eat that, they may have saw their friend or someone else eat it. So again, developing a bit more confidence in trying different foods. Um, so other sessions, I'm working with the elderly and doing the exact same thing, but obviously in an opposite age group. 
um, and then delivering health promotion sessions in primary schools as well, where we looked at healthy eating and we looked at breakfast clubs, um, especially trying to tackle um, high sugar based cereals. So other ways in which we could have healthier breakfasts um, lunchtime clubs as well. School evaluations on lunches, lunch boxes. Yeah, I could go on. That sounds like a really great experience and a lot of variety within that role as well. So could you tell us what skills are important to have as a public health nutritionist? Yes, thanks, Lucy. Um, So definitely um, a people person. I think if you want to be working out in communities, you definitely want to be able to enjoy um, working with people. Uh, Organisation, 100%. Uh, you have to be organized and especially working with different people um, at different times um, organization is really really key um, I suppose confidence and self-confidence and knowing that you know what you, you can do this and just putting yourself out there just grabbing every opportunity that comes your way and that's most definitely how I got the experience that I've gained is I've just said yes. Um, and at times, I'll be honest, I was nervous. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I was trying to be a bit more resilient, um, everything like that, but just saying yes. Um, and that confidence is, is really key. And especially because there's a lot of public speaking as well. So really developing that confidence in yourself and trust to know that you can do it. Time management, definitely a big, a big one there. Um, let me think. Uh, resilience. If it doesn't go well once, that's okay. It's a learning curve. You just go again. Just keep knocking on the door. Um, I know with a lot of the work that I um, did, we, we were bid writing. So we were looking for funding all the time to run these sessions. And sometimes I would think, oh, this is not a very good or a well-written piece or that's not a very well-written piece. Um, so that ability to um, just be resilient and think, no, it's going to be absolutely fine. Yes, you can do it. Um, and just keep believing in yourself and believing in your ability to achieve it. Um, I think they would be my, my, my big tips and qualities. Fantastic. And you mentioned earlier that you know, at the moment, you are actively researching uh, breastfeeding. So, how does the research done by nutritionists impact the practice of dietitians, nutritionists, and students as well? Yes, great, great question, Lucy. Um, so I think you know, as part of the roles of nutritionists, the part of the role of dietitians, um, is that we all want to work towards a healthy population. We all want to work towards um, supporting individuals to adopt healthier lifestyles in whatever guise that may be. Maybe that be to eat more, to eat less, to manage um, where you are right now in, in terms of certain different conditions. Um, but my current role in terms of my PhD in looking at breastfeeding, so we, we're very much aware um, that breastfeeding rates within um, the UK anyway, uh, in comparison to many other developed countries are a lot lower than um, other developed countries, such as Canada, Australia and wider field parts of Europe. Um, parts, looking at breastfeeding, looking at infant feeding as a whole, I mentioned about the first 1000 days, we're very much aware that actually getting those foundations right from an early start um, can lead to healthier weight and less chronic conditions later on in life. 
um, by looking to work with parents and looking to understand what's happening or the barriers to maybe breastfeeding or different types of maybe a combi feed of infant feeding. Um, it supports our whole um, industry, our whole field of work as nutritionists and dietitians to support healthier communities and healthier families across the field. Um, we're working, I suppose, in the allied health profession as part of this every making every contact count campaign, you know, encouraging people to open up when we speak to them and seeing if different ways that we can support them along the way. If there are issues concerned in regards to infant feeding or looking to take on a breastfeeding practice and struggling, and if you're the dietitian or you're the nutritionist that's speaking with that woman that particular day, and you can sign her, post her to particular support. Well, then that may change everything for her from a maternal confidence and mental health perspective, from a finance perspective as well, you know, looking at breastfeeding and the economic costs that that helps, um, as well as her whole confidence in herself as a mom. And then the, that impacts on the family unit. Um, so I'm just so passionate about it and I'm really um, to understand that, yes, breastfeeding is supportive of women, um, the family, the unit as a whole. But I'm also very much of a support of, at the end of the day, we want to make sure baby's fed. So we're moving to this in the field, we're moving to this slogan of fed is best. Um, so even if a mother or a family unit decides that formula feed is going to be the movement that they take, that is most definitely respected and supported. But looking at what support they also receive and how do you make up a formula and um, how do we sterilize the bottle what equipment do we need for that and how is this going to impact maybe the rest of what we're going to do as a family or how we move forward but for me focusing specifically focusing specifically on how we encourage breastfeeding rates is not only just understanding how mums and families move forward with this but also how society responds and how you know because that ultimately impacts on an individual confidence or ability to move forward and then I think our role as nutritionists and dietitians is to be able to feel confident to maybe support women and family units who are maybe struggling or not sure which method to go down with and providing them maybe not with the knowledge if you don't have that in your particular field but being aware of where you can signpost to appropriate support. Brilliant. And can you tell us what does the process of creating and implementing a public health intervention look like? Lucy, I should be asking you that. <laughs> um, it's busy. It, 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 it's, it's definitely a busy, busy process. And um, so we, we have what's called the, the, um, the public health nutrition cycle. Um, and Marcus and Hughes, who are our, um, a, our authors and our developers of that, we're very grateful for. And um, so ultimately, we have to understand why we want to develop an intervention in the first place. And like I mentioned, this is where policy stems from. So we, ide we identify a social issue and be that maybe there's high levels of obesity within a particular area. There's um, malnourishment in another area. Um, there's huge amounts of food poverty in one area. There's maybe huge amounts of smoking um, levels in another area, for example. But we want to look at that key nutrition related issue. So what is actually happening? And then we move through, we set our objectives. We look at what we want to ultimately address. And um, we then have to identify our goals. So what we want to do, set our targets. 
and develop our plans. So what are we going to do um, to actually tackle this issue? So like high levels of obesity, what are we going to do? And I always say this is our creative bit. This is the bit where you get to develop your own job. You get to develop the fun bits. And, you know, that could take into the guise of something that I mentioned before on the six week weaning program. So a weaning program for six weeks. Um, these are the different topics each week. This is how long it's going to last for. This is where it's going to be um, held. Um, and these are the stakeholders who are involved. So that could be your funders, your children's centre managers, for example, your uh, participants. That could be your who's going to advertise it for you, where you're going to get your resources. So who's all going to come together to support you? Um, so that stakeholder awareness is really, really important. Um, and then we look to implement it. So when are we going to put it in place? How, what is it going to look like? How are we going to advertise it? Is it going to be a self-referral situation? Is it going to be um, a referred situation, maybe from a health visitor, maybe from um, a GP? Um, and then we look to evaluate it. And um, so what actually was the impact of that? What does that evaluation look like? And that could be something as simple as I've used in the past forms and smiley faces and in considering the health literacy of our of our, of our uh, communities. Um, are we going to implement it if it's um, weight management through um, anthropometric testing? Um, are we going to do it maybe so um, uh, sorry, we're going to evaluate it through maybe food frequency questionnaires, diet diaries, that type of thing. Um, and then we have to understand then what are we going to do with this information? So we've got that we've found out, yes, we've had a really successful six week plan. But what does that ultimately mean? Where are you going to give that information? Who are you going to share with? And what's the impact of that going to be? So are you going to share with the local authority? Is this going to be a pilot for maybe a policy that's going to be brought in? Is this maybe going to be the pilot for um, seeking further funding to deliver a wider program? Um, so we've got so many different stages to developing an intervention from that initial thought of something needs to happen. How are we going to change it? And yes, we are those the vehicles of change and who are we going to bring along with us and what's it ultimately going to do at the end? But unfortunately, we're in a position right now where it all comes down to funding. Who is going to give us the money? Um, we need to seek funding to deliver certain things, to support certain services, certain resources to provide, and ultimately to cover your own costs as an individual to get by too. A lot of these programs sometimes are done by volunteers who are fantastic, but for that sustainability, we need to look for funding, and that's always where we are getting a bit controversial, I suppose, and, and whose responsibility is it to deliver these? Absolutely. And following on from that, what are the, some of the key challenges that public health nutritionists are up against? Thanks. Um, so I think um, definitely if we're working in communities, um, it's identifying the role and it's identifying um, the, the, the funding. Um, I think there's still and not a huge understanding of what a public health nutritionist is in the communities. There's still a huge um, lack of knowledge and information around the role of public health nutrition. And I don't necessarily think that's on a local level. I also think that's on a national level as well. If we look at the national food strategy, nutritionists and dietitians are barely mentioned. And so we have to understand where do we sit and why aren't we sitting at the bigger table? Why aren't we there making those key decisions and supporting individuals 
we have the skills and tools to do so. Um, and I really think that's probably the biggest challenge. Yes, we, as new public health nutritionists, we have the accreditation behind us from the AFN, Association for Nutrition, which is fantastic. But I think moving forward and looking at trying to solidify what does that status actually mean and how are we demonstrating credibility, um, I think is really, really key. And we have the movement behind the AFN, which is brilliant, but it's about solidifying that um, further and um, how do we try and then get the public behind us to really understand and no disrespect to the public um, I don't think they really know either and again looking at those communication and information channels sometimes we have it's just information overload so who do we really trust and believe so I think that's definitely the biggest challenge is identifying ourselves um, but the second one is that if we're working in community development is the funding and um, that goes with that. And I apologize for the recording in the background. My dog, Ted, has just jumped up behind us and is having a good nose out the window. No problem at all. We all love dogs here, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so you mentioned it there about getting things across to the public and then maybe not understanding quite what public health nutritionists do. Mm. So this is quite a difficult question, but when it boils down to it, what would you say is the key to success when communicating with the public? Honestly, language. Um, I think there's so much difficulty, controver controversy in regards to um, the way marketing and the way the media um, publish certain details. So I think before we spoke, Lucy, I <coughs> excuse me, I briefly saw an article on um, LinkedIn, and someone was talking kind of similarly about this, and it was basically a um a slogan which said something on the lines of um salt and sugar um is leading or excess salt and sugar is leading to um dementia or something like a very flippant headline basically and therefore it encourages an individuals and then pictures of um, ready meals and pictures of fried chicken and, and things like that. And therefore leading the consumers to essentially think, oh, well, I'm not going to eat that or I'm not going to do that or I'm not going to do that. When actual fact, we know there's a lot of ready, ready foods that actually have been lower salt or lower sugar in them to support certain conditions. Um, we hear the media using certain sensationalization of um fast foods and drinks and throwing a long line of processed foods are terrible for everybody but when we all look at our diets a lot of the time the processed foods can be some of the whole foods and um, that are there like sliced bread or um you know uh fruit and tin juices you know and that can actually support a healthier diet especially for someone who may be on this on a on a limited economic budget and, and that's very frustrating. And I think that's what leads to confusion. I think that's what leads to um, distrust and misinformation amongst the public as well. Um, looking at the likes of um, the word detox and how that's thrown around as well and, and how people just jump along the bandwagon again because that's the knowledge that's being created. And if everybody's saying the same thing, well, then it truly should be true. And I think that's definitely one of the biggest challenges we face. And that's why I'm very much passionate about just late, simple language. We know the technicalities. We know the information behind that and the science behind that. 
but how do we communicate that in a clear way that's meaningful and I think that's definitely one of our struggles and I think sometimes this is where is working with the media and working with marketing and can be really really difficult and just following on from that then do you think that social media has helped or hindered public health messaging hindered and that's very very controversial thing to say I definitely think it has hindered um I think it was difficult before social media um and I think it's even more difficult now and you know I'm a big fan of of communications and development of communications and technology you know I really am a big fan and its use and how we can support it in so many different ways like the way we're talking right now I think it's just brilliant but and, and again what this podcast is doing again I think it's fantastic but I think in certain ways, the role of social media can be really, really difficult in trying to get basic information across um, and how it can be misinterpreted so easily and um, sometimes to just fill a character line or to just caption a picture or a message. And, and that can be really disheartening. Absolutely. And for the students who have listened to this and think, that sounds like a bit of me. Those sounds like skills that I have and I can get involved in this. What can students be doing to get involved in public health? Um, oh, I would rally everybody and I would develop an organisation right now to support. Um, definitely look at what's happening in your local areas, what's happening in your communities. Um, many, unfortunately, many areas may have community food kitchens or food banks or community food stores. And I say the word unfortunately only because of the social issue that's presented the need for that stuff to be there. Um, but look at what's happening on a local front. What can you get involved in on a local front? Get to understand your community, get to understand the health demographics of your community. And then see where that develops for you. If that's something that you think, yes, I think I want to start increasing this even further. And um, there's a lot of local or uh, regional AFN or BDA public health or public health nutrition committees. And um, that I'm sure if you got in touch with and asked for maybe um support with the local nutritionist or dietitian who specialise in that area more than happy to give you some tips or advice or maybe how to develop that experience further or maybe even on a larger scale keep challenging things that you see and hear and don't just believe everything again that you read on social media look for the truth keep digging and keep asking yourselves why and why something is the way it is um, look at what's happening on a larger front in terms of movements of um, public health, the Office of Health and uh, Health Improvement and Disparities now, the, the new Public Health England. Um, what, what are they doing? What's happening there? Look at what's happening regionally in your areas too, but definitely get involved. Just engage yourself in what's going on. That's fantastic advice. Thank you very much. And my final question for you today, Shona, is if you could go back in time and give advice to your student self, knowing everything that you know now, what would that advice be? Just believe in yourself and just do it. Just say yes. And definitely believe in yourself. I think they, yeah, definitely the, the things that I said that I would say. Um, don't think you can't do it. You can do anything you want to do. Just, just say yes and just do it. And if it doesn't work out, well, you gave it a go. And if it does work out, well, I'm sure you have a fab story to tell about it. Fantastic. That's definitely inspiring. Thank you so much, Shona. Thanks, Lucy.
Thank you so much for your time today, Shona, and for sharing your valuable experience with us. Shona's social media handles will be linked in the show notes for you to take a look at. A huge thank you once again to New Ultra for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Dietitian Cafe RD2B podcast, consider subscribing and leaving a review or five-star rating so that we can reach even more RD2Bs. You can also follow New Ultra on social media at New Ultra across all platforms to keep up to date with the podcast and to hear the latest updates on medical nutrition. Thank you so much for listening and our next episode will be out soon. Bye.